0: Welcome to the Transatlanticist Politics Podcast at the American Centrum in Hamburg, Germany. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Sola. With me today to discuss recent developments in the European Union is the transatlanticist's resident EU expert, Dr. Gunther Donner. Welcome, Gunther. Thanks for having me. So today we will discuss the two most recent important elections in Sweden and Italy. How do we explain the victory of far-right parties in both Sweden and Italy? Is the European electorate moving towards the right, or our far-right parties moving to the middle? So let's get started with Sweden. Sweden went to the polls on the 11th of September, and there were eight parties who, who essentially won seats in Sweden, but we're just going to focus on three because things get really complex really fast in Sweden. So we're going to talk about the Social Democrats, who were the center-left ruling party in the previous government. Mm -hmm. And then these names sound similar. The second party is the Sweden Democrats, not the Social Democrats, the Sweden Democrats. And they've been variously described as a far-right extremist party. Of course, they don't think of themselves that way. And lastly, we have the Moderates, which is the center-right party. And they are indeed heading the new coalition government. So first, it's important to remember that Sweden has a parliamentary system that requires coalitions to form a majority. In this way, Sweden is much more like Germany than, for example, the United States. So there are eight parties, as I said, who won seats in parliament. The Social Democrat Party won the most votes, just over 30%. And these Social Democrats were ruling the center-left coalition until these elections. In fact, they increased their vote share by 2% from the last election, and you would think that that's a good result for a ruling party to increase their vote share. You would expect them to then stay in power, but that did not happen. Why? Because the far-right anti-immigration Sweden Democrats won the second-most votes at about 20.5%, 20.5%. What's most interesting about this story is that the Sweden Democrats increased its vote share enormously in just 10 years. In fact, in 2010, they only received 5% of the vote and were considered a fringe extremist party, and now they're at over 20%, and they are in a position to make or break the next government. Now, despite the fact that the Sweden Democrats came in second, And they could have then led a majority right-wing coalition through joining with other center and center-right parties. They remain unpalatable or distasteful to some of the traditional parties in Sweden. And this is where things start getting complicated. So the third-placed vote, the center-right party, the moderates, this is the traditional center-right party, got just over 19% of the vote. So they came in third. They're not extremists. But they were selected to form the new coalition government, not the Sweden Democrats, because as I said, the Sweden Democrats are a little bit unpalatable still. So even though the Sweden Democrats captured more votes than the moderates, they are in fact junior partners in the ruling coalition. On the 14th of October, the moderates, the Sweden Democrats, and two other parties on the right agreed to form a coalition government with a one-seat majority in parliament. Let me repeat, they have a one-seat majority, which is razor thin. We'll see what this leads in terms of stability. Not sure yet. However, it gets even more complicated because on the 18th of October, which was yesterday, we are recording on the 19th of October, the moderates announced their coalition government cabinet, and the Sweden Democrats were excluded from all ministry positions. So, the Sweden Democrats are both the biggest party in the governing collusion, and simultaneously powerless in a certain respect, because they are not running any government ministries. So it's a tangled web. I talked a little bit about these technical issues, Gunther, but could you talk a little bit about why the far-right Sweden Democrats have surged in the
1: polls over the last decade? Yes. If you look back at the party history or the political history of Sweden, Sweden... Sweden is a country that has been dominated by social democracies, social democrats in one way or other for almost, uh, for for, for more than half a century. Uh, In fact, it was the Social Democratic Party, which uh, during the 30s formed and created uh, what we now understand as the Swedish model, in inverted commas, that means an abundant welfare state, huge privileges, given to people a strong position of the state and a very strong political influence uh, on the economy, Uh, be this through massive taxation, be this through channeled investments and, and the like. During the 50s and 60s, the Swedish Democrats ruled almost unchallenged. There was no party strong enough to topple their course. There were no Greens then. When the, when, the, when the Green Party, Milieu Parti in, in Swedish, when they came into existence, they of course drew votes from the Social Democrats, as did a few other parties. So the extreme left, which is also quite strong for a, for a Central European country of the Swedish general wealth, uh, quite strong. During the 50s and 60s, they were openly pro Moscow communists. That changed, now they become radical redistributionists and whatever, uh, attracting uh, opposition towards a party, namely the social democrats, that was almost equaled with the state. You have to bear this in mind to understand why do people want a change or what what they have to do to achieve this. And the first attempt to change it, uh, or the first uh, successful attempt, was in uh, 1991, so that's a few decades ago, but not that long, when Moderate Party boss Carl Bild, later a famous European uh, civil servant and politician, formed his first uh, non-social democratic government. That was 1991. So the Moderates were the, they call themselves Boregelite, that means bourgeois in in a positive way, so not socialist. You have to bear in mind that uh, until the late 80s, the the Swedish social democrats were rather far more left than, for instance, the Austrian or the German social democrats. They were quite anti-American. They were quite anti-NATO. And they were probably quite happy seeing themselves as the world's um, pattern book country others would have to follow. I will never forget uh, when I bumped into a Swedish politician in Brussels talking that Sweden is the world's leading moral superpower, having the right to tell others what to do and what to leave. All this was based on, on, on a few not very realistic assumptions, namely that a, Sweden could remain neutral forever. Neutrality was part of Swedish history. had served them well during the First and the Second World War. Whereas after the um, end of the Second World War and the on uh, the Cold War, Sweden could, could seriously no longer consider herself neutral. Neutral, being neutral means I don't care who wins. Uh, Sweden, of course, could have never preferred a Stalinist or regime of rule uh, over over Europe. So uh, they were indirectly benefiting from that NATO, with American help, managed to, to contain the Russian and Soviet attempts to further destabilize post-war Europe. But that was a part of the ideology, as was a number of other things, redistribution, anti-capitalism, pro-third world, verbal talk more than actual financial aid. And all this culminated in the early 90s when the Soviet Union fell down. Uh, Sweden uh, came into massive economic struggle. They had to struggle for economic survival. They out of a sudden had a high unemployment rate, c- completely unknown to the country. And uh, that means less tax revenue. Uh, so they had a problem. The Social Democrats had to go and Bild came. Bild wasn't too successful. He, he managed to open uh, the Swedish idea for Europe. Prior to that, the Social Democrats were not in favor of joining the EU. In 1995, that was a first major step Sweden joined the EU, and that was largely prepared, had been prepared by cold bill. That,
0: that was under the moderates government or under the returned Social Democrats?
1: That was under the second a half-term of, of, of build, but with the consent, with Sweden, is a society built on consensus, with the consent of the then social democrats, who may have realized that this is probably a wise idea, before their left-wing radical part would have would have criticized the EU as favoring capitalism, in inverted commas. That was a sledgehammer word discussion, uh, ruled not by... Uh, analysis, but by 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 catchy words, so that even the social democrats they they have changed a lot from the days of Palmer, still idolized by a certain he was murdered, that Peruple made his fate so tragic. But then the moderates had a chance. the to make it to make it short, the difference in how to rule the country, between the moderates and the social democrats, is less than uh, what you would expect in a country like Britain between a Labour or a Conservative government or France between a socialist or a Gaulist government. The differences are rather gradual, they are mostly so co- f- focused on pro-Europe, pro-integration or we are reserved, we are so much better than the rest, we don't need this. Uh, there was no common ground for NATO membership prior yeah. to what's happened, no. That was, of course, the uh, consequence of external pressure. So the um, the differences between these two party blocks—it's always blocks ruling Sweden. So if you, if you if you read their polls there, you would see the the right the block of the right in inverted commas and the block of the left. Because the ideas—the times when when the social democrats could hope for a a government just out of their own power—these days are definitely gone for good. So it's the bloc version, the right or bourgeois bloc or the socialist, ecologic, the communist bloc. And a few opportunist parties are hopping from one to the other. That was the way when the last rather unproductive Prime Minister, Louvian came to power. One party of the former right alliance hopped over to the socialist camp for whatever reason, and the government... Uh, was formed in a different in a different composition. So, what made the um, what what strengthened the extreme right? There's always been an extreme right in Sweden. About those uh, those people were stemming a, a century back in, in former times. Those were pro-German upper classes. That was the First World War. Uh, nobility and uh, uh, rich uh, citizens favoured especially the conservative nobility, they favoured an alliance with the imperial Germany against Tsarist Russia. Russia has always been the arch foe of Sweden in history. And uh, after all, it was Russia, it was Peter the Great who ruined the Swedish domination over the whole of Northern Europe in the 18th century. Uh, So that that came to nothing because for Sweden's uh, good, that wasn't uh, carried out. During the Second World War, there, were, there was a Nazi movement in the 30s, not very broad in terms of vote voter support, but it, among certain elites there was, a, there was a, an undeniable affiliation toward the pre-Second World War Hitler. Of course, this also didn't materialize. The Swedes maneuvered very, very, it's a story of its own, you, through the Second World War. Allowing the Germans to do more than a neutral country would have been permitted to, as long as they feared that their country would be next compared to Norway. Man, the Germans were on the Swedish border. And Norway, a country easily, easy to defend, Sweden is is difficult to defend, if not impossible. So they had the Germans on their doorstep. They were trying to, to appease them. That was a very clever policy. Conducted by the then socialist Prime Minister, Social Democrats Prime Minister Per Albin Hansson, uh, he kept Sweden out of the war. Sweden hugely benefited from this after the Second World War, and then the social model came into full was brought brought to bear. Uh, of course, they they won over people. You want you win over hearts and minds if you have lots to offer. So now, what changed all this? The right party was there, but. Uh, it it was never more than a, a probably aggressive but but a parliament in in parliamentary terms unimportant grouping of extremists when the umve democrats came to public knowledge that was a bit prior to 2000, uh, 2005 when they when they uh, first came into the parliament then um they were there as the opposition to a otherwise rather, it's very difficult to, to keep apart Swedish parties by their programme. So they offered something for people who would, were waiting for different offers and, 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 and messages. That was not too successful. So in, in the first election, they, as you said, just won 5%, which is one percentage point more than you need for entering the Swedish parliament. But the idea that they would disappear quickly, uh, as their their the pre-runners under different names. There were, there were quite a lot. There was one, keep Sweden Swedish, beware Sverige Svensk. That was a, a crypto-Nazi extreme right movement without any political weight. The idea was, why, how did it work that out of this sectarian movement, uh, with ties to a rather brown history with no party program whatsoever no economic no socio-economic no polit- polit- policy program uh ha- how did it come to to being that this party now has 20% and more and that was quite clear they remo- they re- they reformed themselves from within so a few uh, openly nazi figures were kicked out and that was Oakeshott the party boss who is a very I should call him clever in the British English sense of the word. He's very clever. He's less he's far far more clever than than the um the average bosses of rock, extreme right wing parties are. By clever you mean he's politically astute. He is it. And he managed to 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 change the image. And of course that there came a growing discontent with the Swedish model, the state gives you almost everything, you pay ample taxes for it. That model was lived through a, a, a cutback. So you, you were paying huge taxes, but what you got, got back was less and less. Then the second was crime. Crime in the ideal world of a welfare model, as, as, uh, as was Sweden once, uh, there would be no reason for crime. That was their idea. And a, a, a criminal isn't isn't an evil person you have to protect the rest of society from, but is somebody who had a whatever personal mishap during his childhood or what needs re, reeducation and all this stuff. Uh, this may have been right in certain individual cases. This is not our topic, but in, definitely when imported structures came into Sweden, uh, this model no longer uh, it could no longer work and during the last 10 years crime has infested bigger cities in Sweden and this is organized crime it's not petty crime it is organized crime with repercussions everybody would might feel uh, uh, when crossing the street it's gangs fighting each other for drugs for shisha bars for whatever and if you if you're unlucky and come into this um, into the crossfire you'll be caught then came terrorism, and the biggest benefit the right could ever have was the uncontrolled immigration of foreigners from the Middle East and beyond. And that's you say that this is indeed obviously a key point—the
0: immigration point—is mm-hmm. how the the right wing is winning. You describe it as just now as uncontrolled immigration. Certainly, Sweden controls its own immigration policies. So, what, yeah, what do you mean really- by uncontrolled? The Swedish government knows who's getting, who's getting benefits, and who is there.
1: Uh, well, legally. Uh, uh, let's put it straight. In 2015, Reinfeld, a uh, moderate, was still in power, and Reinfeld kept the borders open, contrary to Denmark, another of these Scandinavian super-social state models. They were very strict from the onset. They were limiting influx. Uh, Of migrants right into the systems of social aid and security, the Danes were very strict, very strict, as were the Norwegians. But the Norwegians uh, had less problems. They just have a border (laughs) with Russia, and they have a border with Sweden. Denmark was felt very threatened. Was reacted very very timely. Sweden drew it out a bit. Uh, Sweden uh, again. I I
0: just want to. I want to make this point clear. Mm. Just because the the words we use to describe immigration are important. Sweden's policy was to allow asylum seekers, refugees, and immigrants into its country Mm -hmm. legally. So these these are documented, Mm -hmm. not undocumented migrants like the U.S., where maybe 30 million people in the U.S., Oh no! Of course, I have no legal right to be here. Everyone in Sweden
1: pretty much has a legal basis for being there. I was given one, and was given direct access to the welfare state. Mm -hmm. That's the big difference with America. You can't compare it. I mean, if you if you if you if you make it crystal clear, you go to Sweden to to connect with the Swedish welfare welfare state model. Uh, The Danish was far more generous. The Swedish model is enormously generous. Opening up channels, the Danish was much more. They they cut it back as early as uh, late fifteen. Uh, they were offering about sixteen hundred euros a month, just for a signature. I need asylum, and then you would wait years for your asylum uh, procedures. But and um, um, during this time, you could have access to these those funds, to language courses, to healthcare. I mean, things you wouldn't uh, if you. Transfer this, and if you were to advocate this to make it public in, in, in parts of the u s people may come uh, i mean who who pays you more than a thousand euros a month for doing nothing and gives you free access to the welfare state so that was far more generous than in germany far more right generous. so so, so the, the they were not illegal there, there right, right. Very, the, very that's, that's the illegal.
0: distinction that I want to make it 's not like the these people somehow are uh... Sneaking their way in and living.
1: No, no, not at all. Living sort of. I mean, that in. was necessary. The idea was we we, we consider them to be victims of violence in their home state. We, we, they did not insist on the Dublin. We had the Dublin uh, uh, agreement as first ones. So that you entered the EU there and th- that's the first country of first contact is your country for asylum. In this case, Sweden wouldn't have had m- many problems or many asylum seekers. But they were, in the early in the early month, probably year, after 2015-16, they were taking up anybody who came and knocked on their door. Uh, and then the Danes cut short transfer, and uh, you, you, getting to Sweden without passing Denmark was impossible. That led to a thing a development in Swedish, especially in, in, in urban centers, is they had enormous uh, numbers of refugees. Those were then, by public arrangement, by the administrative arrangement, dispersed to the various communes or regional municipalities. That, of course, means that they preferred the asylum seekers, of course, being sent to the three big cities. The three big cities used to have large amounts of minorities a fact you would not find in rural environments certainly not in the north and and, and not even in, in, in central sweden uh, so by going by adding or fueling more people channeling more people to the big cities the problems there became rather evident i mean and what you have and that's a fact what you have in, Sweden, in three big Swedish cities, be this Gothenburg, Malmö, or Stockholm, you have uh, um, the tendency for ghettoization because the integration of these people failed. Failed abysmal. They keep to themselves. There are always exceptions confirming the rules. There are individuals who integrate perfectly into the Swedish society. But what you see in many parts of these cities is right the contrary. Uh, that was failed as a problem. And out of it, they came, of course, into existing structures. If you now look at certain places in Gothenburg or Stockholm, a police car on its own wouldn't probably go. The police force has traditionally been rather weak, and you cannot compare it to um, American standards, for whatever reason, for good or for bad. But uh, the society was not prepared for a potential conflict arising out of this and uh, the theoretical approach that if you give social aid they become perfect Swedes within a month just didn't work and this has so led
0: to and i'm i'm going i'm going to jump in here just to give some one one important stat so sweden is a country with 10 million residents and mm-hmm. now 20% are foreign born so one in five mm-hmm. And um, I'm guessing 20 years ago, it was presumably much, much, much less.
1: It was, whereas you have to, to call a spade a spade, Sweden has always had an immigration from other countries. Above all. In former times, it was Finland. Finland, once a Swedish colony, in inverted commas, much to their dislike, to the dislike of Finns, during the 20s and 30s, people came from very poor Finland to, to Sweden. Than much richer than Finland. This in th- this immigration has never posed a problem, uh, for whatever reason. I mean, some of the reasons can be uh, can be can be uh, ha- have to be named. There was a certain immigration from the Baltic countries during the um, aftermath of the Second World War. This too wasn't a problem, but the integration from countries far away and from with. Of different cultures required evidently a different handling of if the integration were to succeed and in many cases this probably wasn't carried out and due to the rather short period of time when more people came into the country and certainly also due to the rather harsh measures Denmark and Norway imposed on immigration many Swedes became reluctant to tolerate us And the Swedish extreme right made use of this. I mean, their idea was probably not, we can't stop it, we have an idea how to. They didn't. But they realized immediately that this is a weak point in the established strategy of the ruling party, which they could exploit to the fullest. And I think this is one one thing. And and, and during the last year, last two years, this crime situation, I, 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 you have to put apart terrorist things with immigrants from uh, countries far, uh, far away, with a Islamic background or Islamist background, if as you would like to call it. Uh, that was one thing. Uh, a few such occurrences indeed uh, uh, were there, but the other was the omnipresence of uh, certain parts of town no longer. Uh, the ones where you would like to go and 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 the weakness of the police force not able to cope with it and and that gave arguments and that gave probably that made people listen to the uh, to the extreme right yes and the extreme right changed again i mean the extreme right has been rather flexible with their basic standpoints they were fiercely against the european union they now have reduced from we are fiercely against we, we are highly critical uh, but they're no longer for leaving europe and all this and they also agreed to joining nato which in former times the right party wouldn't have done because swedes would have to invest more in their own defence so they were they are very they are very uh, flexible in terms of uh, we concentrate on one topic and we we push the others a bit, a bit into the uh, a bit way. we that they're, they're hard to to really tie down to certain positions
0: all right let's let's just do a rapid fire series of questions uh, because i think now we have a good sense of how the right wing became successful in elections in in sweden but let's just look at some of the implications so what do you think practically speaking can this governing right coalition do about immigration policy? What will they actually do?
1: Well, uh, I think, strangely enough, this is now no longer mm. topic number, number one. Topic number one, of course, now is energy. Immigration, What, what would they, even the, the previous government made limited immigration, made it far more difficult to apply for asylum, but probably it was a bit too late and let's not forget that it was the moderates who just kept all the doors open it was not the social democrats well uh, the what will they do the the first thing they've already announced is they will build new nuclear energy power plants of a very modern type uh, whatever so the idea if we have to to make swedish industry and swedish households largely independent from alien uh, support to to have the energy they need uh that's probably quite interesting. They will stay the course on NATO
0: membership. there oh, will yes. be no changes there, no doubt about it and and you said there's also no
1: more discussion of uh, swags Sweden leaving the eu of course not no. i mean no, not at all. I consider it a rather clever move of both uh, Christoonhn and the extreme right parties very Democrats that the latter do not form part of the government.
0: Yeah, so as I said in the introduction, the moderates have, in theory, joined with the Sweden Democrats, but they're not giving them any government ministries, any cabinet positions. Why would the Sweden Democrats have accepted that?
1: Uh, Well, that again shows that they are rather, well... It's always difficult to say so, but they're strategically well led. You win little by a government post. What you do is what the, their massive breakthrough was. There was a thing called November Compromise, that was a compromise among all the other parties never to talk or whatever to associate to affiliate with the extreme right. When they were having five or eight or ten percent, that, that that was still possible. Now, where they are the second strongest party. This is unrealistic. So what the Swedish democrata were able to perform is we allow a change in government. We agree they may have um, an agenda they have agreed upon, but it's necessary. And we will not compromise the new government with a an focus on being interior minister. And I think this is Don't misunderstand me, but you have to analyze this in a non-emotional fashion. This is a brilliant move, strategically speaking. So they have the moderates, the Christian Democrats, and the Liberal Party, the reformed Liberal Party. The Liberal Party in Sweden is a question of its own, uh, forming the government, and they all bank on the Sverigedemocrates for support in Parliament. So in a way they would have, and that's probably that will define whether they are successful or not. Do they have an agenda that's been crystal clearly defined? What they will do, and the others will uh, support, or don't they? If they have it, they can ha- go ahead. If they don't, their alliance in inverted commas—it's more than a, its not a coalition; it's an alliance. Yeah, that will fail. I was uh, quite surprised. We, we are about to talk about Italy, where the exact opposite is occurring, or France, that the extreme right in Sweden performed strategically so 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 cleverly or so well, if you look from the own perspective, uh, that they are there now uh, is a fact society has to deal with. The idea that we, we don't like this party for this, this, and this, probably just won't help we need we need an answer and we need to analyze why did so many voters hop away from other parties and there's again a huge difference to italy where they hop right. well well d- d- don't we're jumping up,
0: we're jumping ahead our of ourselves uh, because we let's let's uh, jump to italy as it were formally here um, but you you raised the important question that, that I want to come back to with Italy. I'm setting this up as a right or wrong uh, question or an A or B answer, but the question is this. Are the far-right parties moving to the center, or is the electorate in Europe moving to the right? You would have a different answer as for Sweden or for Italy. Okay, so we'll explore that then. But that, that's, again, a very interesting thing, because you can see evidence to support both sides, and maybe it is country-specific. Now, Italy had elections on the 25th of September, so just a couple of weeks after the Sweden elections. And in some ways, a similar narrative to Sweden played out in Italy, but not, of course, the comparisons are limited. But Sweden has a parliamentary system, so does Italy, You've got to build a coalition in order to have a governing majority. And like in Sweden, a far-right party with fascist roots captured huge gains. In Sweden, it was the Sweden Democrats. In Italy, the party is called the Fratelli d'Italia, the Brothers of Italy, which sounds very conservative and patriarchal. (laughs) Uh, the leader of the party, however, is a woman, not a man, which is interesting, and it's certainly making uh, traditional leaders and male leaders in Italian politics angry. In fact, uh, Silvio Berlusconi said some nasty things about his ally, Georgia Maloney. So the leader of the Brothers of Italy is, in fact, a woman, Georgia Maloney. We saw that in the Sweden Democrats' case, they went from 5% of the votes to slightly over 20% in some 10 years. They went from 5% to 20%. What's interesting about the Fratelli d'Italia is they went from 5% in 2018 to 25% in a mere four years, which is a huge meteoric rise, far faster than the Swedish Democrats. So Georgia Maloney will lead a hard-right coalition with the usual suspects on the Italian right. Old Silvio is back. From the Forza Italia party. Now it's interesting that Maloney captured votes from these other right wing parties in order to get to 25%. She probably got about 10% from La Lega and about 5% from Forza Italia, which for me indicates that maybe the Italian right is coalescing around her. They have or have had some pretty strong policy differences, namely their stances on Russia and Russian gas. The EU, EU subsidies, and the economy in general. So, Italian politics is mightily complex. Uh, what are some important points you would like to make about what happened in Italy?
1: Well, uh, what happened um, to be to be clear is a disaster. It's a disaster for Italy, and it's a disaster for Europe. To be quite clear about it, I think it's easy to understand this if you look at the traditional history of Italian. Government forming, government uh, lifespan, and, all, and other. I think this is government number 69 since 1946. And if elected, Meloni will be prime minister number 31. Italian governments normally don't last long. I think a handful during this huge span uh, have lasted longer than three, four years. What is interesting is the idea of a party. A party in Italy is a thing you could create from one day to the other. Uh, if you look at the previous government, the previous government was centred around uh, Draghi. Draghi is an outstanding economist, and he was the universally most respected Italian politician for decades. Uh, he had mastered the Euro plan through whatever terms of crises. He was president of the European Central Bank, he, he's an expert in his own he's not member of any party probably for very for very good reason so he was created prime minister and he had a a motley array of eight parties some parties had just come into being so hopping off from one around a figure around a personality creating his own party because there is still the old clientele structure in Italian politics a certain political leader has a clientele wherever, in regions, in bureaucrats, in soldiers, in police force, wherever. So he needs a party label around him. Being member of a party doesn't mean much. If you look at party programs, they are mostly null and void. uh, And very, very little of what's been written once, if at all, has ever been carried out. A party is a momentary configuration around leading figures to be prominent in in politics and to serve the model of how elections work in Italy. That is the one big difference to the rest of the world probably. So if we we now look at these three leaders, and that's worthwhile because it, it may it may reveal uh, ideas of what, what we have to expect. We yeah, start let's do it. we start with Berlusconi. I mean we know Berlusconi and Berlusconi is a whatever, a hybrid between a jester, uh, and Donald Trump. Trump Bousconi. <laughs> whatever. He's created an empire around himself based on his own money or based on other people's money. Nobody knows. Nobody is ever cared for. Uh, he started playing the, the, the squeeze box on the cruise on the cruise vassal in the 50s, and he became a multi billionaire. He's certainly probably richer than Trump. Uh, but he's, he's still old, and he has had one scandal after the other. I mean, uh, he had to be—he uh, had to, to appear in court many times. And of course, he was—he was condemned once, but not really, and that was later revoked. So he's well connected, but I think he's at the end of his tether as his political attraction concerned. How could young people in—I mean, let's face the Italian society. The Italian society is one of the most unjust in Europe. We have uh, uh, elite very well-to-do and living in abundance, and we have masses of people struggling for survival. And that was prior to the energy crisis. The Italian welfare state is, is existing in certain regions, functioning well in others, not not at all. Uh, it's just a, a far cry if you fall ill in Calabria, or in Sicily, or in, in Venice. That's a huge difference, though it's the same legal basis and the same economic basis, but it, the factors are different. All this leads people to, or forces people, to look for quick arrangements. There is no prime hope in that the state could change or will make it better for me. Most dictators have given up the hope that this rather motley arrange of political parties, permanently new parties, popping into existence and disappearing like nothing, like a, like a firecracker. That they will actually change their individual jack and Jill lot, they won't. And this is one thing: there is less trust into we can, with our, with the tools we have in our democracy, we can change our own lot. And this this belief has almost disappeared. So then there are people who are interested for whatever reason. For a nice job, for more funding for universities, for more funding for the military, have individual certain limited goals that could probably benefit from a certain person being responsible for a certain sector, and there we are with clientelism again, uh, something we just don't have that much in other countries. Now Berlusconi, once he was, he had two, 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 at least two governments. Maloney was a youngster uh, uh, working in, I think, berlusconi II government around 2008-10 for two years as a minister for sports and young people. Uh, you see, this ministry is there, has a building, people get a job there. And what they do, nobody knows. And the the outcome is has never been has never been checked. But she was there, but she was in nothing in this and this ranking of of, of prestige jobs. And now she is on top. That will, for Ballasconi, be unbearable. Salvini is another type, an upstart uh, with a with a rather opaque background, who started once as a as a right fighter for the extreme north. He, his background was the Lega Nord. Norte. Uh, that was they wanted to to create to to, to cut Italy, uh, cut off from Italy. They wanted really to to create a, a state around Milan then they realized this is probably contrary to the Italian history I mean let us not forget that the huge uh, uh, amount of bloodshed fighting and political engagement that created Italy at the round about the middle of the 19th century uh, yeah, just to the,
0: just to remember there are lots of regional prejudices in Italy still of course
1: but the idea of Italy non-existing, doesn't mean that the Bourbon state of the two Sicilies would reappear on on, on the globe. So the idea that there has to be a a national state and that Calabrian misery can never be cured out of Calabrian resources, uh, I think that is rather widespread. And so it never appeared in the poor, uh, deprived regions. It appeared where there was wealth concentrated in the north. Then the right wingers realized it's probably far wiser to, to make this, to, to cut the North out of it, and they renamed themselves and they started afresh.
0: So, the Northern League, just to explain to everyone, Salvini remained the, renamed the Northern League just the League mm-hmm. to
1: remove its uh, regional associations, they, thereby abandoning all the basic principles of this movement had built up during, during many years. Um, So that goes to show how quickly a party is adapted to the individual preferences of a a leader at the given moment. Salvini is not a very serious person. (laughs) I would be very careful. Um, He had been deputy prime minister, minister of the interior, which brought him into many legal conflicts in uh, a harsh and illegal treatment of asylum seekers in conflict with the rather praiseworthy activities of the Italian Navy, saving thousands from the Mediterranean refugee chaos. Uh, but then they didn't want to have them anymore. Uh, they'd never left the Dublin Agreement. They couldn't. Uh, so they they maneuvered hither and thither and, and just creating new expectations among their clientele. Salvini's star has been sinking for quite a while now. And uh, oh, don't forget, he was he was the strongest element of the extreme right a few years ago and now he's, he's lost a lot and he's, he's uh, almost as weak as is the Berlusconi movement so now to the Fratelli d'Italia they have clear roots in the Movimento Sociale which is the Im- direct follower of the uh, fascist movement Mussolini created in the 19- early 20s Meloni plays on this instrument uh, this is nostalgia. I mean, don't forget, there is, a, there is a monument at Mussolini's grave. If you look at it, if you look at it on the Internet, you will be flabbergasted to, to, trans, to, to transpond this to Austria or Germany. The idea that a brutal dictator of the fascist period is still considered as a respectful part of Italian history, Italian history even celebrated, that that would be a crime that would bring you in behind bars in Germany. I've actually been there not not
0: to pay homage, just out of curiosity yeah, to, 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 to see how deep Mussolini still is part of the national identity for some
1: Italians. For some people. And uh, the idea is, why is this possible? This is possible because, contrary to Hitler, who led his country into utter devastation and finally shot himself. Mussolini was arrested by the Nazis, freed by the Nazis, instrumentalized as a puppet by the Nazis during the last year, whatever, of the most uh, gruesome uh, sufferings the Italian people had to go through. So Italian fascism ended when the, uh, the High Council of the Fascist Party, all of Mussolini to go, this wouldn't have been possible with the Hitler state. And then he was shot by guerrillas, by partisans. And all this probably added to the fact that he wasn't as bad as people think he made. That's exactly Maloney's way of thinking. He wasn't as bad as they all say. He was not as dangerous as Hitler, which is right. And he made many faults. Uh, she, She named them. She shouldn't have entered the war. He shouldn't have discriminated the Jews on German command during the 30s it started and uh, and the like. So the idea is she, she has realized there is some rather undefined desire within the Italian population to for a strong man. And I think if you consider Mussolini just the figure, the only strong man they could lay their hand on, there was no other. Uh, So Mussolini as a strong man, as a contrasting the case of Italian party politics. So that makes this, to to certain parts of the voter, it it makes them think about why not have a strong man again when we were A, respected, whether this was the case remains to be seen, whether we uh, had less problems with party politics than we have today. So it's not that, that we are that Mussolini suppressed all the other parties and all this. He was never head of state. I mean, during his reign, that Italy was a monarchy. The king was there, but the king was weak. So he had less symbolic power, but he had a huge post-mortem symbolic power as the figure saving Italy from party politics, which is generally considered to be of inferior quality and of no use for the country. Nor for the individual. So, this does not, should not explain that this is right, but it explains a state of misery of the Italian parliamentary system and the Italian party world. So, many people were fed up with these coalition governments, and think back, uh, I think it was around 1998 when another European, Romano Pradi, once uh, a commissioner of the European Union, formed a government of i think 13 or 14 parties which of course lasted a year then it fell apart so now back to meloni she is um part what is very very critical with her is his her party followers so she has now appointed the president of the senate the the second in prestige of the italian state the president of the senate he has no great political power A, a funny old man from sicily who has with the, with geophys- a great collection of England. fascist artifacts. Oh, yes. And he, he will not be the only one, rest assured. But he has nothing to tell people, really. He has no message. He has The idea that was better than, let's try it again, is ridiculous. So what they had as a party program is has been rather opaque and ambiguous. So once, many years ago, they wanted to, out of the Union, out of the euro. Uh, Out of the European Union, out of the Euro uh, and all this. All this is is nothing. Uh, Italy, the day they would announce this, the day after that, they have to, to, to declare state bankruptcy. Italy is totally depending on the European Union, on European support, and would be hopelessly, hopelessly lost without. And that is, she knows it.
0: So, so let's, let's just go again, uh, just because we're, we are running out of time. We need to do a, a final rapid fire on Italy. Will there be any major policy changes due to this new government, or will
1: Italian politics trundle along in the way it's always done? I think so, and what I expect is huge interior bickering and conflict right from the start. The alliance of these three characters won't last uh, the thing is, what will come thereafter, uh, and that is an open question. And let me finish with this. My hope for um, pro-European, democratic, and constructive Italy, are worth its name, because Italy is a highly could be a highly productive country. It is, is it has innovation. It has quality products, the world, sought after the world over. The thing is, Italy has to reduce bureaucracy. Has to make state administration far more efficient as it is today. And as long as they they consider the state is is the uh, the food chamber or the food basket for political cronies, uh, this won't change. And these three people certainly won't change it. They will have a scapegoat. I don't know who it is. Probably it's the poor asylum seekers. Uh, they are not the problem of today. Salvini uh, has a very close thing with Putin. He he took millions from 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 the KGB, uh, far more than Madame Le Pen. And uh, so that will be a problem, but he, his political influence is nothing. What can he do? I would give this government less than a year, but maybe a, a year hence we will discuss this and I may be wrong. But I don't think that because the, the, the programs are so, so irrelevant that the common denominator of these people is stable enough to bear the the weight of their rivalry. And it's personal gain they are looking after. It's personal prestige they look after. It's not a realization of party programs for the electorate that would, would control it. I don't think so. What I think is it's their personal, I'm head of state, I'm important, I'm the extreme right. And every, every three of them sees himself as I, I'm the, fact, the, the winning factor. And that won't last. It will weaken Italy and it will probably exacerbate the Italian economic problems because very little productive will be done what they now question and this is to, to enter details they question academically the supremacy of EU legislation over Italian legislation, which is absurd and well
0: contrary maybe, maybe, maybe another time we'll discuss the supremacy of legal codes in the European Union, which is a very fun topic, but we'll mm-hmm. have to leave it for today. But the question that we had was, are the far right parties moving to the center, or is the electorate in Europe moving to the right? So in Italy, I think that that's not the right question. The other way to think about these things is that We can focus on flowers growing in the field or the soil in which these flowers are growing. So the soil in Italy is one where we focus on these flowers growing in the field. We focus on the Berlusconis, the Salvinis, the Malonis. And and Italian politics will always generate these flowers in their political soil, Mm. as it were. But Sweden's different. Sweden's a little bit different. Sweden doesn't have this focus on the celebrity, the powerful person. In fact, it's it's hard to think of any S- Swedish politician as being particularly charismatic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I would argue.
1: In times the.
0: Way. So the soil in Sweden is much different than the soil in Italy. And I guess I'll give you the last word here. In general, we've seen the difference between Sweden and Italy, but in general, uh, how would you respond to that question? Are far-right parties moving to the center, or is the electorate in Europe in general moving farther to the right?
1: As for Sweden, it's really that far-right parties benefit from complacency of the democratic democratic majority. In, in any case, voting for a radical party is a vote of protest, you're, you're a vote of discontent. So now the question is, can the existing parties filter this discontent? Can they influence it? Can they win over people? Can they win back people? Or will discontented voters, for good, remain with the extreme right? For this, you have to have clear answers and you have to tie down the extreme right. That is your program. That is your suggestion for solutions. And that is your outcome. And if you do this, we will see what comes out of it. So it's very easy for the Swedish Democrats who are not part of the government. That is something you could not expect from a Meloni or the other two. I think that there, of course, the, the, uh, the electorate moved, moved to the right because they were disappointed with the, what the left had offered them for the last decade or so. In Italy, it's uh, looking for people, for protest and for change. But the thing is, change. those looking for change will expect rapid results. And if there is no change, their preferences may shift. Look at Five Stars. Five Stars was a populist movement, and you couldn't really say whether it's right or left or vulgar and anarchist or whatever. It was all, everything. Five Stars survived due to this clientelism because they got more votes than expected in the southern today. I think I
0: think the better example, Gunther, of the rapid shift is Fratelli d'Italia that could increase five times their vote share in a mere four years. Yeah, from because few other right-wing
1: parties were so crippled by their by their leaders, and people were running away from Cinque Stelle. So Cinque Stelle voters, uh, Berlusconi and Silvini voters made up for Maloney. It's not said that this after, if we have, we were to see another election within a three quarters of a year, it's far from far from certain that this will repeat itself.
0: Yeah, she could lose twenty, uh, she could 20% lose percent just as easily. Okay, so I think that's all we have time for today, and of course, it will be interesting to see in the next round of elections. In Sweden and Italy, what has happened to the grievances of the electorate about immigration and energy, and indeed then what, what will happen with their votes. So uh, thank you, Gunter Donner, again for sharing your expertise. And thank you everyone for listening to the Transatlanticist Politics Podcast at the American Centrum in Hamburg. so you know once again, the views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the guests or the host, not the American Centrum, which does not take any institutional positions on politics or policy. Thanks again for listening.